The sermon text for tonight's preaching is in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. For generations to come, I ask that the passion for your great name in and through racial diversity in the church and harmony in the church and to whatever extent in the world you may be pleased to perform it among people who are not your own would be advanced, preserved. And to that end, I pray that parents would model for their children and would teach their children how to love people who are different from themselves. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're newer to Bethlehem, it might be helpful for you to know that since 1993, uh, that's about 18 years or so, including this year, we have in January focused for two weeks in a row on two issues that seem to us timely and important and to which the Bible speaks pretty clearly, namely the issue of racial justice, harmony, diversity, and the issue of the sanctity of human life. So this weekend in our culture providentially is Martin Luther King weekend, and that's why we put it here. Next week is the Sanctity of Life Sunday. Not everybody cares about that. We do. And that's attached to the Roe v. Wade anniversary, and they just happen to come back to back every year, which is a big deal to us. One is a Democratic issue, the other is a Republican issue. Shouldn't be that way. And I don't give a rip what party it is. I care a lot about this. Jesus is my king, no man, and no party. So if you sound liberal-ish one weekend and conservative-ish another weekend, so be it. Okay, so that's where we've been for the last 18 years or so, and 
I hope that's okay with you. In fact, I hope you like that and feel that that's a, a prophetic way to be. So we're um, unashamedly devoted to Christ-exalting racial justice, harmony, diversity, and uh, we, we are glad-hearted in embracing the increasing diversity of America. The U.S. Census Bureau says that uh, by 2042, uh, whites will be a minority and, and, uh, and the non-whites will be in the majority in this country. And since I'm pretty sure that's the way it's going to be in heaven, I'm okay with that. Um, just statistically, what's happened in history and where it's going today, uh, we just better be okay with that. And so we embrace that sort of uh, secular growth in diversity and remember what Jesus or what John wrote about Jesus. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign. On the earth. So, the rulers over the new heavens and the new earth are going to be very diverse and very Christ exalting. And, and what a wonderful thing if we can taste as much as possible of that now. And secondly, we are unashamedly devoted to the sanctity of human life in the womb and outside of the womb. The life of human beings who are not just the product of natural procreation, but are the product of a divine act of creation imparting to every single human being the image of God. Here's what the brother of our Lord Jesus wrote in his book about how we should treat each other with our tongues. The tongue is a restless evil full of a deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So, James was implying, don't do that to human beings. They're made like God. Every Haitian you see is a walking image of God, dead and alive. which multiplies the heartache of unbelief and of death and suffering. So there they are, the two holidays or noted days, sanctity of life, I'm preaching on it, God willing, next week, and racial harmony, justice, diversity. This sermon is about that. Now, the direction that I have felt led to go this year is to say old things in a new context. And the context I want to put the old biblical truths in is the context of parenting. I want to say old familiar truth, and I know you're not all parents and you don't all have kids, but you all care about kids and you care about the next generation and you know somebody who's a parent and you know somebody who's a child and you know that these children are growing up to either deal with this issue well or not. 
<clears throat> so that's, that's where we're going. I want to talk about uh, raising children to love people different from themselves. To have that in mind. So I'm talking mainly to parents. But if your children here, and there are a few on Saturday night, not many, but a few, I hope the children, if you can understand what I'm saying right now, like that sentence, listen up. And, and wh- here's my goal for your parents. My goal for your parents is to say something that will help them love you better. Your parents love you really well. They really love you. You know that. Parents love their kids a lot. But parents are always growing in how to do it well. And I hope to just make a little contribution to how to do that well. How to love our kids well, which includes this issue. So read a, here's, here's a text. You're wondering, why did he read Romans? And Roman, that, that is the most sweet gospel text I could think to have read because I'm getting to the gospel in a little while because it's the biggest issue when it comes to raising kids about anything, but especially this issue. But let me read you another text now for, for parents. This one you can, you can look at. I'm not going to exposit it in detail, but listen up from Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you in the land, and you live long in the land. Fathers, jumps from parents to fathers, evidently a heightening of focus. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. <clears throat> so, parents, mom and dad are to be obeyed, which means they're saying things. And they ought to say good things and right things and true things and wise things and Christ-exalting things and God-centered things and Bible-saturated things. So, children, without any compromise to their conscience, are saying, yes, yes, yes. That's what ought to be happening with moms and dads. And then he goes to fathers. So dads, a special focus in this text. Indeed, in the Bible, a special focus. Dads have a special responsibility, a special authority, a special role. Moms have their own special, but this is special. And they're, they're, they're supposed to take a special responsibility for not angering, but rather bringing up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and the Lord has lots to say about racial harmony. Okay, so that's, that's the connection. We're bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord, and the Lord cares about how we treat people different from ourselves. I have um, eight ways to love your kids like this. And as I looked over them again this afternoon, I just thought, my, 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 there is so much more. (laughs) So if you want to, you can email me what I left out. But I know that's true. Um, There are so many practical things I'm not going to say. Like, what kind of books do you have lying around the house? What kind of magazines do you subscribe to? Do you get the new book on blended families in America, like I gave Noel for Christmas? Little, little things like that, that just kind of keep sowing into the family 
the issue. So I'm not going to talk about any of that. I just did, but no more. And then there's all kinds of things to teach that, that I'm not going to mention, but I've chosen eight, and I think these eight are really important, really basic, really fundamental, and here's the way I've gone about it. We're talking about raising children. I've, I've worked on five, okay? And so I, I think about this a lot, and I have thought about it a lot, and I wish I could do it all over again, but now I can tell you what I did wrong, and, and uh, maybe you can avoid some of those mistakes. So I have eight ways parents can help their kids love those who are different from themselves. The, the first three, or is it four? Um, three, I'm getting to the gospel at number five. And the reason I'm getting to the gospel at number five is because kids get to the gospel at number five, okay? You don't teach the gospel to your kid with any sense of understanding at one-year-old. You don't. But you teach them about race at one-year-old. Okay, that's where we're going, and we'll get to the gospel the way kids get to the gospel. Number one. Help the children. Now, one more thing. When I say help, 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 I mean model and teach. If you teach and don't model, you're a hypocrite. Kids will pick it up really quick. They'll be gone real soon. If you model and think teaching's not important, you just sacrifice one of the precious means of grace, and that's not going to go well either. It's teaching and modeling, teaching and modeling. Be what you say. Okay, that's clear. So every one of these eight points, I'm assuming that, I'll probably say it half a dozen times, but just know I'm assuming that parents have impact when those two come together with authenticity. Number one, help the children believe in God's sovereign wisdom and goodness in creating them with the body that they have. Now, these are going to be a little bit longer than you can write down probably. This is going to go up on the web Monday afternoon, so you can just relax. You don't really need to write any of this stuff down. If it sounds like it's worth keeping, just go get it, you know, and just sit there and listen and, and ponder. If it helps to write something down, fine, but don't panic about, oh, that was long, I missed it. Uh, don't worry about that. Help the children believe in God's sovereign wisdom and goodness in creating them with the body that they have. Now, most little children, little children are wonderfully free from fretting about their body. They don't think about it. They, if they have no pain, they don't think about it, but they have no pain, then they just go from one thing to the next with no bothersome uh, self-preoccupation or self-consciousness about the body that they have. It's just there, and they're there, and they're doing their happy Thing. That's the way little children are, which may be why Jesus said you need to be like one to get into the kingdom of heaven. But almost all children come to an age where uh, they begin to worry about their bodies, boys and girls. Am I, am I too tall or too short? Am I too thin or too heavy? Am I too dark? or too light? Do I have cool hair or boring hair? Uh, is my complexion clear or, or blemished? And these fears are huge. They're real. 
minimize them. They're real, they're fears. And this craving, this craving to be liked when you enter a certain phase can escalate into destructive dysfunctions and sinful behaviors. And what is needed is not the world's teaching on self-esteem, but God's teaching on His sovereign goodness and wisdom in creating our children the way they are. Psalm 139.14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O my soul. It knows it right very well. Now, this truth does not solve every problem. It's not a quick fix to every struggle. But it is massively important that we build into our kids the teaching that God made you. God is really, really good. And God is really, really wise. And therefore, you are really, really the way he wants you to be. That begins at age nine months. You don't start that at age 11 when the crisis sets in. This this foundation is laid month after month after month after month. He made you. He made you. He made you. He made you. He's wise. He's wise. He's good. He's good. It's a, it is not a self-esteem issue. It is a God issue. It's a trust issue. It's a submission issue. My God at 11 years old is good to me. My God at 12, 13, and 14 is wise and good and my maker and sustainer. That's the issue. Not some kind of secular, like what you see in the mirror thing. It's a God thing, big time, and little teeny children begin there, one years old, two years old, three years old. They start getting that. They don't get the gospel yet, but they get that. Made me? Where'd I come from? God made you. Whoa, how? Challenges. (laughs) Join the club. Number two. Help the children believe in God's sovereign wisdom and goodness in making other people with their bodies the way he did. Help the children believe in God's sovereign wisdom and goodness in making other people with the body they have. All this does is take the first principle and apply it to other people. And if you have helped your children... And I think it needs to go in this order. If you have helped your children from the earliest days grasp that about themselves, then it will not be as hard to make it plain that it's true for other people too. And then you can unpack the implications for that. For example, you wouldn't make fun, would you, of God's work. You wouldn't hurt someone by staring at them. 
would you? As if what you're staring at were made by a foolish God or a bad God and not a good and wise God, would you? Little children are going to get this. They're going to get this week after week, month after month. And remember, you're modeling it. Okay? What do you stare at? What do you roll your eyes at? What do you cluck your tongue at? What do you tisk tisk at on television? They're watching. This is teaching and modeling that we, our children and we, are made in a wise, good, sovereign God's hand. And other people are too. Number three, help the children believe that they and all other children and adults are made in God's image. It's not the same as the first two. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. You build into your children from the earliest days, as soon as they can begin to comprehend a sentence like this, you build into their lives that they are, not to overstate it, infinitely different from the animals. You're going to fly in the face of everything our culture believes here. You teach a kid he's the end product of animality, he'll act like an animal. You are infinitely, qualitatively different from the animals. I don't even stick in the word other animals. Sticks in my craw to talk that way. I don't think God would like it. We teach our children that being human is an absolutely amazing thing. Being human is an absolutely stunning thing. It is awesome to be a human. Which is why hell is so horrible. It's awesome that there are these beings walking around on the planet like God. They, they, they have capacities Unpack image of God for just a bit. They have capacities to know God. To think God's thoughts after him in a book. Capacities to talk to him and be communicated to by him. Capacities to love him, embrace him, cherish him, admire him, worship him, be satisfied by him, reflect him. We're so godlike. You remember C.S. Lewis, that you will be tempted in the age to come to bow down and worship your fellow humans when they shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. If you only knew what you were dealing with, every single color, every single shape, every single... And here I'll put in a parenthesis. I came this close to preaching this sermon on race and disability. I had it all planned to make every point apply to both. And guess what? 
they do. But Noel said, and she was right, Johnny, number one, this is Martin Luther King weekend. Don't give it short shrift. Do that another Sunday. Number two, it's going to sound like you're treating race like a disability. Okay. Smart lady. But you didn't know that behind these eight things, John Piper wants people for whom a disability issue is a more front burner issue than a race issue. You can read between the lines. It's easy. Okay, there's a heads up. Close that, close that parenthesis. We teach them from the beginning that they are in the image of God and infinitely different from the animals. Now, the first three of these ways of loving your kids are um, relating to God as, as, as creator. He made me. He made you. And he made us in his image. Those are three creative works of God. So now, these little children, this one-year-old, two-year-old, I mean, told he made you. You are a creature. He made you, made you, made you. And he made you with wisdom. And he made your body. Your body is no mistake with wisdom. And you are in his image. And so is everybody else. And the implications of that are staggering to think about. And so full of implications for how we relate to each other. Now, the next point, number four, takes us beyond God as creator to God as lawgiver, summed up in love commander. The love commandment in the Bible sums up all the law. So let me just state this one. Number four. Teach the children that God, deal, that, that God tells us to do unto others as we would like others to do unto us. Teach them that. Teach them that as early as they can get it. And they can get that really early. Just as soon as they start having little senses that if what you just did to your brother, he did to you, how would you feel about that? They can get that pretty early. Earlier than they can get the gospel. This is not gospel. This doesn't save anybody. Doesn't save a kid to teach him the golden rule. But you teach him the golden rule. He needs to know the golden rule. Law giving usually precedes gospel hearing. And the law is summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Get that into your kid's mind and heart early on. Would you want to be treated that way? No. Well, then don't treat them that way. Just breed that into your kid from the earliest possible and teach them that That's one good filter for your behavior. Would you want to be talked about that way? Would you want to be named that way? Would you want to be looked at that way? Would you want to be treated that way? Answer, no, 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 no. Well, then don't do that. Let's let's not do that. How would you like to be treated? Well, this, this, and this. Well, let's do that. Let's do that. Kids begin, oh, the gift of parents who can get this into a little pagan at four years old. They're not saved yet. Now, we're at the gospel. So the first four are God is creator and God is lawgiver. The issues for our kids are all about God. That everything is about God in these families at Bethlehem. If you're not, if you, if everything doesn't relate to God, you don't get it yet. You don't get the book. 
It's all related to God. Elbows on the table, no, relates to God. I could do an exposition of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, don't act unseemly, and show you how the gospel relates to elbows on the table, not in a certain culture. Drink your soup a certain way in that culture, not this culture. That's in the Bible. These, everything relates to God. So, God is creator, verse 3. God is lawgiver, number 4. Now, here we are at number 5. Teach the children that their own sin... You won't even know what that is at 2, so you're not going to get much headway here. Uh, but go ahead and do the best you can. There will come a point where their conscience comes alive. And you need to capture with great discernment that point. Teach the children that their own sin is uglier than anybody they think is physically unattractive. Teach the children that their sin is uglier. I'm choosing words very carefully here. Is uglier. I didn't say more wrong. I said uglier than any thing they think is physically unattractive about another person. Sin is not an innocent mistake. Sin is not a funny blunder. Sin is not a noble flaw. Sin is ugly rebellion. Paul calls sinful, a sinful generation a crooked and perverse generation. The Bible uses the word abomination for this kind of life. Uh, Paul describes it in Romans 3.13. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips in describing that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is abhorrent and ugly. If our children are ever to grasp the gospel They must grasp this about themselves. And we parents must feel it about ourselves first. There will be a humility. There will be a brokenness. There will be a flavor. Dad has authority in this family, but it is a brokenhearted authority. It's a humble authority. It's a ready-to-admit-wrong authority and ask forgiveness from a five-year-old authority. The, t- the kid will taste whether the dad has been broken by his own sin. Our children will never cherish another word carefully chosen. Our children will never cherish the gospel if they're not sickened. By the ugliness of their own sinfulness. They need to learn they don't just do bad things. They're bad. And I know that there are a lot of people who say, you should never ever say that to a child. Just tell him he did a bad thing. Don't say he's bad. (laughs) Sins don't come out of nowhere. I'm perverted, I'm bent, I'm broken, I'm corrupt, I'm proud, I'm selfish, I am this way. And until I own this, John Piper owns this, the gospel won't land with power. 
It will always, I will always be healed lightly. I need to, I need to crawl into the cesspool of my heart and claw my way through the blankety blank to the bottom, believing there's blood down there. Not hell. There's blood. Jesus' blood is down there. And it's only at the bottom. It isn't halfway down. It's at the bottom of the junk. And so our kids, this is about us first, right? Parents has got to go there. And, and so many Christians have, haven't gone there. And so they're not broken. And therefore they're not, they're not in love with the gospel. They're in love with television. They're just not thrilled. They, they watch the kind of enthusiasm about the day he washed my sins away. And it's stupid. It just makes no sense. I mean, I don't get this emotion. I, I don't see why these people are so worked up. You, you've never drowned. You, you've never fallen into the pool of your own stinking heart. So, once you get that done... And have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. So that it's the sweetest thing that ever happened. Then you just gently, lovingly help your kid get this. It, it doesn't damn them. I promise you it doesn't damn them. It frees them to get the gospel. It makes the gospel the sweetest thing in the world. So number five is... Teach them that their own sin is uglier um, than any person they may think is ugly because they're different from them. And if they do, then I think one of the effects will be it's pretty hard to, to be lifted by Jesus, cleansed up out of the cesspool of your own life, and then look at another person's body and feel yucky about it. No. No. That, that root has been cut. It's not going to go there anymore because I am undone. Number six. Teach the children that God loves them in spite of the ugliness of their sin and that he proved this by sending his son to die for our sins and Give forgiveness to all who would trust him. Now, that's long, but you get it. That's the gospel. That's the heart of the gospel. The first was preparation, like know your corruption, your sin, the ugliness. Now, that was preparation. So now we tell them and we tell them a thousand times. When God sent Christ into the world, he was demonstrating his infinite love for you in your sin. In spite of your sin, his love goes up as your sin goes up. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So we we make crystal clear, God loves you. Romans 5, 8. So here's my one reference to the text that was read. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. For us. You want to see the love of God? 
Open your book and find a dozen places where the death of Jesus and his suffering is described on your behalf. That's God saying, I love you. I love you, little three-year-old, little five-year-old, little six-year-old, 11-year-old, struggling 13-year-old. I love you. I love you. So, um, we say to our children, you think they're uh, unattractive or unpleasant, these people who are different from you. Remember your sin, your sinful heart, just like mommies and daddies, is more unattractive and unpleasant to God than that person is to you. A thousand times more is your sinful heart more unattractive to God than they are unattractive to you. And God loves you. God died in Jesus for you. God sacrificed for you. Wouldn't you treat others that way, even if they seem unattractive to you? So, if God has loved us this way, shouldn't we love others this way? Number seven, teach the children that because Jesus died for them and rose again, he becomes for them an all-satisfying friend and treasure. He becomes for them an all-satisfying friend and treasure. Paul said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. So clearly, knowing Christ Jesus for the Christian is more valuable than anything. Anything. Teach them that. That is a work of the Holy Spirit in their life. You cannot make that happen. But you can tell them it's true. And pray night and day that God will open their eyes to see that having Jesus as a friend... And having Jesus as a treasure is more satisfying than any popularity they could have, any body they could have, any money they could have, any power they could have, any prowess in football they could have, any figure they could have. 10,000 times more valuable. And God just might work that in your teenager or your six-year-old. You've got to believe it yourself. They have to see that in you. Dad treasures Jesus more than money. Dad treasures Jesus more than his work, more than his success. Dad treasures Jesus more than the football game. Dad treasures Jesus more, more, more. That's obvious. My dad treasures Jesus. So there's your first battle. And then, and then you start pouring that superior treasure into them. You help them make the... The connection that if Jesus is all satisfying to you, like Paul said he was for him, then you don't have to be afraid of anybody who's different from you. You don't have to be afraid. You have Jesus. You have everything in Jesus. And you don't have to get your happiness from feeling superior to other people. Which is where a lot of us try to get our happiness. I, I need to feel superior to somebody. That's where I get my meaning. I get my significance from I'm smarter, or I look better, or I'm, I'm 
cooler or, or something, I'm better. Why, why would you need to get your meaning in life from a comparative superiority to others? Why would you need to even go there? You don't go there if Jesus is satisfying your heart. Or maybe more realistic to say, you find yourself going there often, and because Jesus is your treasure, you kill it. You say, I'm not going there again. I don't need that. I don't need to go there. I don't need to be the best this or the best that or even better. I am what he made me to be. I'm going to give it my best shot for counting for Jesus by loving people. And he will have me because of Christ in the end. And, and this life is very short anyway. So help the children be so happy in knowing Jesus and being forgiven by Jesus and being loved by God because of Jesus that they spill over to other people rather than running away from other people. Number eight, the last one. Teach the children to love others who are different from them I do it this way. Last night, I went into Talitha's. She, she said, you going to say that in church? I said, probably. She went, ooh. She didn't say no. <laughs> so she's not here. She'll be here tomorrow morning, and I'll ask her tomorrow morning again. So I sat down on the bed like I always do. She's 14. Put my hand on her, on her head, blessed her, and uh, sang my little song. I said, can I ask you a question? This is the last point of the sermon tomorrow. I want to see if you get this. I say, okay, finish this sentence for me, Talitha. Um, the children, you, um, should love people different from yourself, not in order to be accepted by God, but because. And I stopped. And she said, because I am accepted by God. I just came out of my chair. I mean, I was, yes, yes, yes. She, she thought that was so funny. It's like you, you did. I'll tell you, you could not pay me a million dollars for that moment. That's the gospel. All daddy's do's. Do this. Do this. Do this. Treat people this way. Don't do that. Do this. Where, what are they? Ways to get God on your side? And she knows. No. If they're wise, if they're in the Bible, if they're from God, they're not ways to get God on my side. God's on my side because of Jesus. He's on my side because of Jesus. Jesus covered my sin. Jesus gave me his righteousness. He's 100% for me. My loving people who are different from me doesn't make Jesus on my side. If I have any power to love people different from me who I find a little difficult, it's because I'm already his. You remember Philippians from last week? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he adds... Because God's work in you. Or over in chapter 3, verse 12, he said, I press on to make it my own. And then he adds, because Christ has made me his own. You get, get the gospel dynamic of effort? 
Yes, there's effort in the Christian life. Yes, there's self-denial. Yes, there's needing to cut off some sinful inclination. But that doesn't make God on your side. The gospel is God's on your side for one reason. Christ paid for your sins and imputes to you an alien righteousness, which you simply receive by faith alone. And then everything else in life is flowing from that gospel reality. So I'm done now, and I just want to close like this. The power to be that kind of parent or friend or person in general, just for all of us, the power to help anybody love others different from themselves or the power to love people different from ourselves is a power that flows from that understanding, that reality, that experience of the gospel. Talitha saying, uh, because I'm already accepted. That's why I would want to treat other people who are different from me lovingly. Let's pray. So, Father in heaven, work these eight things and so many more into parents. Work them into children so that they don't have to walk through any season of folly, rebellion, unlove, selfishness, eating disorder, prodigal departure. God, preserve our children in racial harmony, in racial diversity, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.